Hi everyone. Good afternoon. Um, I hope the morning and the lunch were good. Um, we had a very good morning at Cannes Docs. We had a couple of successful showcases of Docs in progress. Um, that went really well. Um, everything, lots of beautiful things happening at Cannes Docs. Check it out. Um, Cannes Docs is the documentary focused industry program here in Cannes at the Marché. And I'm Pierre Alexis Chevit, one of the people behind it. We have a fantastic panel this afternoon. Um, another thing that we're trying to do at CanDocs is to tackle some topics, issues, angles that might not be that very often or very well addressed maybe in the market globally. So yeah, trying to modestly do what we can to you know, give the voice to people we think have very important things to share. Um, and this is the case today. Let's have a round of applause for our panelists. So <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, today, uh, Rico Johnson Sinclair will be moderating this session, Race Equality Lead at the BFI. Thank you so much for the moderation. Enjoy the, the, the talk. I want to thank our good friends at Day, Documentary Association of Europe, great friends, uh, who have put this doc talk together, just like all the series of doc talks at CanDocs, doing an amazing job in doing so. Um, thank you all. I'll let Rico introduce you. Not want to speak too much. Thank you very much. Hey, wonderful people. How's it all going? How's your can? <laughs> Lacking enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm Rico Johnson Sinclair. My pronouns are he, they. Uh, I am the Race Equality Lead for the British Film Institute. I'm going to self-describe for anyone that's visually impaired in the crowd. Uh, I'm a black man with curly hair, wearing round glasses, a bright blue shirt, uh, and shorts that are unseasonable for this weather. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to my colleagues to introduce themselves. So, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Yolanda. Uh, I'm, I'm a black girl, black woman with curly hair. I'm wearing glasses and I'm wearing a pink dress. Um, I'm from Brazil and I've worked for 13 years in the produ production um, sector of audiovisual. I work with distribution, I work with curating and program, and right now I've been working with as a development producer. So I'm here to talk about my job and what, I, what I'm doing in the industry. Hi, I'm, I'm Paul Sung. I'm a filmmaker based in Edinburgh in Scotland. I'm feeling very at home here with this weather in Cannes. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I've been a documentary director for eight years and really honored to be asked to speak on this panel. I think you know there's really important questions that we need to ask ourselves as filmmakers, as documentarians, about not only the type of films we make, but how we make them. And I'm wearing a light blue linen sh um, suit that I packed a bag for summer, and obviously that was a really bad decision. So, yeah, good to be here. Hi, I'm Malin Huber. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a Swedish-based producer. I work with film in all kinds of formats. Uh, documentary fiction, the story decides what it should be. Um, I run my own company called Her Film, together with two other producers. I am a brown girl wearing glasses with extremely curly hair because of the weather, um, and I'm dressed in brown. Thank you. 
hello everyone. I'm Nada Riyad. Uh, I'm an Egyptian filmmaker, uh, and we have a very small company called Feluka Films, through which we also produce both uh, fiction and documentary films, and we also have script development uh, labs for uh, filmmakers from the MENA region. Um, I'm wearing an off-white uh, dress and my curls are intact, thankfully. <laughs> thank a huge thank you to our panel. Uh, so, the talk is actually going to be separated into three different sections. The first one is about where we are now as an industry, what the context is for this talk. The second one is what we're doing, hopefully to help some of our audience members build a toolkit, start developing thinking around equity. Uh, and then finally, some audience questions. So do you think about those as we go along? So I'm going to jump right in. Uh, so what are your opinions of the doc space and the wider industry right now in terms of inclusion? I'm just going to throw that out. I'm not going to pick on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll start. Um, I think things are getting better, but they're not really where they ought to be yet. I think um, documentary seems to me to be a safer place to work than drama. I think in terms of when you meet documentarians, um, we're generally a nice bunch. I think we care about the world. I think generally, you know, we're an empathic group of people. Um, in terms of what I think needs to be done differently, I think. In terms of diversity inclusion, you know, it needs to be not a box-ticking exercise to get funding, but an actual practice and an ethical way to make the work. And I think at the moment, the, the ways of unpacking that um, are difficult, you know. And um, I think a lot of people, um, you know, maybe gatekeepers, whether that's um, broadcasters, funders, um, have put in some, you know, really, like BFI, for instance, have put in a really good process but I think at the moment it needs um, more representation around class I think that you know we're doing some good work on race and on gender on disabilities but I think that generally you know I'm working class I grew up on an estate and whenever I go into spaces generally you know imposter syndrome never quite leaves you and generally I think that class is still a big issue that doesn't really get spoken about because we can't see it you can see often someone's race. You can see sometimes if someone has a disability. You can see sometimes whether you know some, what someone's gender is, um, and they can tell you. But class is very difficult, I think, to see, and I think it's one of the things we need to do a lot of work on. Yeah, I, I agree with that from a from an internal perspective. It's very much the same inside, coming from like a single parent household, benefits uh, working very working class, if not poor, and like some of the spaces internally and externally. Even in Cannes, you feel. Like, you know, because most of the people here are working uh, middle class, upper middle class. So, yeah, definitely do resonate with that. I think it's a really important point. Who's next? Um, well, I can agree. I think the doc space is a very, um, it's a very kind space compared to other spaces. If I need to inhabit one, this is a good one. Um, I think what we can all do better is maybe be clearer in assuming your position or acknowledging your position, even though you, for example, I'm adopted from Sri Lanka, I am brought up in a middle-class family in Sweden. It means I operate, because I'm based in Sweden, in a mostly white normative society, so I pass. But it still doesn't mean that the experience is as straightforward. And I think just always as a filmmaker or a film producer like me is, 
being transparent with from which position you're talking from. I think that is something I, we can definitely be better at. Uh, all right, so I th uh, as an Arab woman, like this year, we have uh, Kawthar bin Haniya's Four Daughters, a documentary in competition, um, the Tunisian one, and also Asma al-Mudir's uh, The Mother of All Lies in Uncertain Regard, another documentary. So I think in, it makes me feel good, like there is more uh, acknowledgement and space. Um, however, in the real world, I still get asked a lot if I do documentaries or real films, so I think that's an indication of something. And um, I still think, uh, of course, like, yeah, the documentary is a, a lot more inclusive, uh, but uh, I don't think that, um, like, even with different documentarians, we speak about, like, um, representation enough and kind of put mechanisms to, to get more representation in general in documentaries. Like We're taking steps, but we're definitely not even close. And, and also delving into what representation actually means. Does it mean that we all create films that are directly um, about our whole experience? Or you know, can you take someone that's experienced poor mental health and make a film about poor mental health that isn't, isn't white when the person making it is white. Like, how does it resonate with the character? How do we build authentic authorship? And that's something we'll go into a little bit later. Yeah, yeah I agree with you all. And I also think that right now I, I experience more, more um, we are going more to festivals and going to markets, so we are having more opportunities. But it's some, some opportunities are, we, we created for ourselves. So I think that education plays an important role because uh, we want to, and not education like university level, but every kind of education and collectives like the one that we do, but also to refute the, the, the idea when people say, I want to hire some, someone that has a different background, but there's a lack of professionals in the industry. I want, like, we are there and we exist and we are highly skilled, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Ooh, can I say that? Um, I said it. <laughs> um, so you all have a variety of experiences. Some of you have worked in curation, but all of you have had uh, experiences with curation. So my next question is about how film curation is, is making changes in the last 10 years, uh, and how does that affect your process as filmmakers or your process as curators? I'll go first again. Um, I think there's some, you know, there's some really... In the UK, there's a, a really great um, group called Tape Collective, and uh, I've done a couple of screenings with them. And the work that they're doing is amazing. You know, to go out there and find filmmakers from underrepresented backgrounds, and you, the way that they communicate everything is is just brilliant. It's a completely safe space to work in. And from taking films around the UK over the eight, eight years that I've been doing it, you really notice that. Um, you know, the people that run tape are, you know, people of colour, they are people from underrepresented backgrounds. And it's, there's a difference, I think, when you've got that lived experience of being othered, that you know how to communicate things and you know that the films that you're programming are, are important in terms of that maybe it's not, you know, necessarily got an obvious audience, the subject of the film, but what does have an audience is the actual trust that they've managed to establish. So I, you know, really highlight their work and I'm sure and I hope that there are other things going on in you know other countries but um yeah i think it's important that you know you work with people that 
you, you see yourself. Because you know, I, I became a director quite late in life because when I was younger, I didn't see you know, people like me, whether that was you know, my ethnicity or my background. And film just seemed a really impossible place to get to. So I think seeing ourselves in the people that, not just on screen, but in the people that create is really important. Especially in the UK, we look at like uh, some of the shows that were out on broadcasting companies such as the BBC when I was coming up and they were all derogatory and stereotypical depictions of South Asian communities, Caribbean communities. So it was a choice of either being an actor and being the butt of the joke or not being in the industry at all. And that's a thing that we had to face. Um, and I'm, uh, I, I'm assuming that's resonant in, in some of the countries that you grew up in and experienced you know, being marginalised by broadcast companies and by films. Yeah, and like another, like to, to get another example in my country, we don't have representation in, in class A festivals, so people are always trying to, to build their own ways of showing their work. So there's a female identifying uh, women festival, it's called Cabidia, and I, I curated there for, for two years, and we had a diverse group of people curating the, the program. So we have indigenous people, black people, transgender people, and that made a huge difference, like to seeing stories that we never saw before. So I think that's, that's a way that we, we, we try to, to make things our own way and hope that people will see it, and yeah. So I'm thinking about two things. I'm thinking about an arts organization in Stockholm called Index Foundation, and they work with a teenage advisory board. And I can advise you all to do it, because it's, it's really fun. It keeps you on your toes. It means that you get questions from another perspective, and it's also the future of film. So I think it's really important to invite or create a buddy system and also listen to what's on the ground. And the other thing, Okay, three things, I'll add one more. Um, the, other, the second thing is uh, Savvy Contemporary in Berlin, which I think has made an Im incredibly impactful work in slowing things down, showing films, discussing films, public programming, um, thinking together to unlearn what you know to invite other perspectives. And the third little thing is, what language do we use when we talk about things? Like, how do you, how do you create an inclusive language? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I, I think when it comes to the global market and a film festivals, like, um, um, I, I think there is a certain expectation of what um, minorities and diverse people uh, stories should look like. Uh, so, unfortunately, yeah, that is um, a fact. Like, uh, and again, it's because the um, most of the programmers and um, like the uh, machine that runs behind any festival is still very masculine and still very political. Uh, so, um, it's it's in a way um, a way to enforce how things should be over and over again around the world. But uh, I do think that there, we, there is a lot of hope in making films outside the system and screening them outside the system. And I don't think we pay much attention to that. And I think it's a source of power that we should capitalize on 
And um, eventually, this might or might not get uh, attention and reception in a list festival. But I'm quite sure overall, it still creates a lot of positive change in the world. I mean, the people that need to see the film will seek out the film because they want to see themselves represented and definitely resonate with some of the points you made about like state-funded festivals specifically. How are you supposed to remain impartial and uh, right-wing governments or central centrist governments that don't want to see inclusion and diversity? Like, How are those festivals positioned to showcase stories like ours? And also the expectation that if you're a barren person, your story has to be brown, and actually it's not... Yeah, that's, that's not the way that we uh, create equity. So, yeah. Loads of valid points there. Um, so what are the, thinking about all the answers you've just given, what are some of the best instances of progressive practice you've seen in filmmaking? Um, I think what I'm going to say at, at the beginning will not feel like it's in filmmaking, but for me it is. is there's a initiative, an, uh, an institution in Brazil that, that was launched four years ago. It's called Nicho Institute. Uh, the founder is right here, and it's an institute to to improve the the, prof the professionals, the black professionals in the industry, in the film industry. So I participated last year in a mentorship program for black female executive producers, and we consider it to be like, it's important to have uh, decision makers that look like us, so we can hear more stories that that we want to talk. So we did uh, 170 hours of, of, of um, classes. We went to festival markets uh, around the world, and it really changed the way I perceive things from my country. So now I have an, a broader look. So this is something that it's really important and meaningful. So we can have, like, when you are an executive producer and you're different from the, the, the majority of, of executive producers, you can change the structure from up to down. So that's... I think it's one of the re relevant things in Brazil. Staying in Brazil, um, the territory, I think, was a really good example of making a film you know, with an indigenous community and then putting money back into them so they could set up a media center. Um, obviously, you know, not all films are going to have the budget to do that, but it's a, an example of best practice, I think. Um, on, a, on a kind of smaller scale, um, the filmmaker Jeannie Finley, someone I've learned a great deal from, um, from Jeannie telling me quite a while ago that on her films, because sometimes we're working with very vulnerable people, um, having a mental health advisor or providing access, and it's something you know, I think is very important because people, when they make films dealing with a trauma, it can be cathartic, but it can also be incredibly painful, and I think having somebody on hand for that person to speak to is, is again, good practice. I think also to echo that, there are so many initiatives coming out of the global market that champion BIPOC people, QT BIPOC people, um, but they're ultimately resourcing white-led organizations to hold people of color rather than resourcing POC organizations so they can flourish and grow. Um, and that is not equitable practice. I'll stay with the word holding. Uh, I recently had the luck to collaborate with an artist called Christian Yampeta who made a work called Sometimes It's Beautiful that is now in the Guggenheim collection. And whilst doing this film, it was he brought together a bunch of people and created the space for us to unlearn together. And it was like a 2.0 research moment at the same time as this film was unfolding. And it was, when I think back of it, it was really stressful, but it was also 
one of the most beautiful experience, experiences in making. It's not just the what you're making, but how you're making it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think for safety reasons, I'm not going to mention names or specifics, but uh, there was, a t like a few years back, there was an initiative uh, that uh, supported underground screenings uh, so it was in the MENA region and it, uh, what, like the screenings were not announced. The filmmakers knew about it, of course, they were happy to share the films, uh, but they were mostly for um, women who have survived uh, violence. And I think the curation and also the dismantation of these films uh, was very rich because it was not about like, uh, making money or making films more famous. It was just simply about how an audience can experience the film and what they could take out from it. And yeah, that was, I think, one of the highlights. Thank you. And thank you all for sharing so generously. I'm going to move on to the next section, which is about what we're doing. So I want, to I want you to think about how we best ena enable practice in our industry, how we implement practice on industry. And so the first question I've got is, what are some of the ways you've changed your practice to be more inclusive, and how has that affected your projects? Well, I mean, I, I work um, um, in, in, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, um, with a company called LS Productions, and we started a division called LS Films. And, one thing that we committed to very early on was for all of our productions to have a minimum of 50% of people from underrepresented backgrounds. Now that's difficult anywhere in the world, it's especially hard in Edinburgh and Scotland, but we've managed to do it so far and it's, it's kind of like the, the challenges with that are you know, sometimes just really having to like crew up at short notice and you know, it's, um, I mean, me personally, I don't wanna make films with um, you know, white privileged guys personally you know they I think those people have had enough opportunities in the past and I think you know we open ourselves up or I open myself up to criticism from that because people would understandably say well then what you're doing is biased but I think it's about time that you know we have to be committed in that way we have to create opportunities and it's you know in, in, in politics, you know, you'll often see shortlists that will be um, or you know targeted around you know that it has to be an all-women shortlist and men get very upset about that. But you know what, men have had enough privilege in the world, and I am a man, so you know, I can say that. And I think it's now time that we actually have to you know, be more proactive to say, look, we're gonna work with people you know, from underrepresented backgrounds, whatever they are, whether it's race, class, gender, disability, and actually taking responsibility rather than waiting for someone to you know, come along and ask, you know, can I work with you, actually going out there and finding people. And there's tons of people around, and there are organizations now, there's a guy, in Glasgow, Stuart Kiesmeyer, and he has um, a company that is purely just, you know, filmmakers, um, crew, people of colour. And you can, you know, approach Stuart and he'll hook you up with a DOP. And I think Stuart worked on um, Good Omens in Scotland and, um, and it was Nancy Boys. So it was Nancy Boys. And, um, you know, they wanted to have a majority sort of brown and black sort of cast and crew and, and they managed to do it, you know, and it's... It's hard, but it's, it's the work we have to do to unpack all of these years of you know, colonialism and all of this stuff that's gone in the past. It's our responsibility. We can't wait for you know, gatekeepers and the people to do it. We have to do it, you know? 
I, I do think. Sorry. Sorry. I do think. Yeah. Like, there's two, two things I want to draw out from that. Like. Equity is about redressing the balance, right? And we, I don't think there's anyone in the world, in the global market, that can say that whiteness hasn't been centred in the history of film. So a lot of this work is about trying to dissenter whiteness and add a more varied, multicultural aspect to our film industry. Uh, so, yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then in my work as a development producer, I try to, try to, to see the stories and how they can reach their best pot potential. And I, I try to create a group of people that are going to work in different levels of the story that are part of the groups or protagonists. I, I have a background in anthropology, so that's really keen for my, for my work. And I cannot detach my, my person from, this, from, from my political way of looking to the world. So that's something I try to do, to be as inclusive as I can. And also, I will always insist in formation, like in having master classes, or, or even learning with your peers is something like, you know, it's not traditional education that matters, but it's just learning and, and being able to do your best job. So, so important to acknowledge as well, like as historically marginalized people, we cannot remove our lived experience from our lives, from the work that we do. So whilst I see a litany of filmmakers removing people of color because it's too difficult, they don't have enough budget, that's not something we can do. We always try and create the best opportunities when we acknowledge that our historically marginalized communities have been under-resourced, which makes it difficult. It makes it really hard and then also like, Reserving well-being spaces for us emotionally uh, when we're doing that work is really hard because the nature of the uh, industry is that we have to be productive. We constantly have to be productive. And how are we supposed to say, safeguard ourselves in that? And that's the importance also of our collectives, of being together and like helping each other mentally also. Yeah, like yeah. We, we went for lunch yesterday, didn't we? And like had lunch and that was like a really restorative space. It was just like all POC eating sushi and it was great. <laughs> I think growing up with your peers is really important. And I also think me as a producer, it's, it's super simple. I keep lists. A really GDPR unfriendly list where I check like, where's my numbers? How many... Um, female, uh, inclusive, male, what's, what's on my crew, who's in front, who's behind the camera. Like, but if I don't keep the numbers, I also don't know what I'm talking about. So it's really to check myself, but also to be able to show it to the person I'm working for or the, the commissioning body or, you know, uh, that this is, this is the work that we're doing. But I think what comes with that is also a responsibility to create an environment that can that can, can take care of this, because sometimes you work with stories that are um, not harmful, but very close to, like if I work in fiction also, but sometimes you work with stories in fiction that are depicting a rea something that is very, very close to reality, and then you also have to make sure to create a space to take care of what does it feel like to work on these stories that are often reproducing or looking at minorities from a white-centered perspective. Um, so I'm going to speak uh, from my experience as a director now. And I think, yeah, um, I think for me, like having worked with distressed communities in the past, like um, um, I think I'm uh, always uh, a lot scared 
and uh, very um, cautious, but I think sometimes it's also a creati creatively, it hinders me. Uh, but when I work with uh, within a community that is less privileged and that is um, um, that has yeah uh, that has complications that I haven't personally gone through, I think I'm very sensible. So it takes a really long time to 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 have a conversation and to try to uh, give back the space but also, while also being conscious that the power dynamics is on your side somehow. Uh, like so with a recent uh, project that is currently in post-production, uh, we, uh, we were working with a group of uh, young women in the south of Egypt who are Copts, and this is a minority in Egypt, uh, and who face very, very different circumstances than my own life and my own experience. Uh, so we constantly asked, like, how do we make this beneficial and helpful for you? And uh, since this group of women were artists, they told us they wanted to uh, develop their capacities in different areas. And we tried throughout the film to do a lot of workshops for them in, within these things uh, that they asked for. and. In a way, we also like throughout the film uh, kind of uh, gave them space to co-write scenes and to direct scenes, uh, which I know at the end will be problematic for a lot of audience, but I, it's a choice. And also we're working with the impact uh, campaign uh, for when the film is released because they're trying to build a theater there and we're trying to help. But we understand uh, and respect that uh, our role is, whatever it is, is really minor. Like we were only there because they were very brave and very creative and they were doing something act to actively engage with the society. So whatever we do, it's just based on their uh, very brave actions. And we try our best to respect that and understand that we will never honor it in the right way. I think that brings me on really nicely to my next point about authentic authorship. So when I think about uh, the history of documentary filmmaking as a queer black person, I think about one of the earliest depictions of film for queer black people, and that's Portrait of Jason, directed by Shirley Clark. But I also feel about how uncomfortable watching that film with the contemporary lens made me feel. The uh, like interrogative... Uh, nature of the film, plying the subject with alcohol in Chelsea's hotel to get him to unravel. And then I also think about like how that hasn't changed, like uh, Check It, uh, which is a film that was released in 2017. Um, and it follows around a group of uh, young black queer people who have to form a street gang to protect themselves after being made homeless from their, um, from their respective parents. Um, and how voyeuristic that gaze is, obviously, again, coming from white directors, uh, where there's scenes where someone's just experienced sexual assault and the camera's right in their face and it's clear that they feel uncomfortable with that. So with that as a backdrop, from, that's my own personal experience. And I'm sure you will have instances of seeing yourself re reflected in documentary where it's made you feel uncomfortable. But for me, I think one of the most important parts of building a utopia, building a more equitable future, is to think about authentic authorship and what it actually means. So my first, well, I guess my question on that would be, um, how do we ensure authentic authorship 
uh, and how do we ensure that it remains authentic? From my point of view is what I try to do with my work, like just have the right people telling their own stories and, uh, and trying to allow them to fulfill their, their needs and also thinking about how to, to, to get the audience that wants to see that movie. It's not just about uh, telling a story, but to whom you're gonna, you want to tell and how you're going to show it to them. So I think the, the most important way is to have like the protagonists telling their stories and, and working on their stories in different levels, like research and, and screenwriting. Yeah, that's it. I agree with everything you said there, Yolanda. I think it's, as a director, the first question I would ask myself um, when I'm considering making a film is, um, what's my right to tell the story? You know, and um, you don't necessarily have to have the exact lived experience of you know, the people that you're working with, but I do think that your lens on it has to obviously be empathic, but you need to find you know, a connection there that gives you that right. And you know, it was an approach to make a film um, about a disabled athlete, and you know, it, it didn't feel right for me to, to tell that story with them. You know, and um, you know, I would never make anything purely for money anyway, but it was something I was quite easily able to just turn down. And I think it is really important that you ask yourself, you know, what is my right to tell this story? You know, what is my lens on it going to be? And if you can't find an answer for that, then you shouldn't be making it. We talk about the why a lot in inclusion work. And if the why is inherently selfish, then you probably shouldn't be the person telling that story. And me as a producer, I think I come back to assuming my own position first and then looking at the position of the director who's coming to me with proposing this, this film or this idea and what are their reasons for bringing, pre precisely as you say, bringing it to me. But in the same way, I think, I think it's about how do you create an environment to do that? Is it inviting somebody who knows more than you? Is it making sure that if you're in a fiction script room, you have the right people bringing you the knowledge, not just sitting? I mean, I operate out of Sweden. There's public funding. It's a, I'm in a super privileged position. So it's also like, how, how can I make my homework, basically? Uh, I have a, yeah, I have a hard time with this question because I'm always questioning what is authentic so it's yeah and how do we find do, do do we define what is authentic like I think there's so many different ways to look at this like um, does that mean that uh, p uh, like uh, only a queer person can make a film about a queer person does that mean like in um, like you need a person personal connection to uh, to every story like there's so many ways to look at this that I'm always like I think driving myself crazy in a way um, I would have however kind of reflect on the production aspect and how we how do we make uh, a film like um, I think when you look at uh, financially how films are made, especially uh, at least from my region where there is very, very little national funding. Um, so the resources uh, to make the films uh, usually come from outside, from co-productions, from European and uh, other countries. And um, the challenge for me and 
is to understand that if I'm going to make a film, any film, that I'll probably rely partially on uh, people from outside and who cannot see my world with the same perspective. And I need my story to be told um, in a way that makes sense to me and only me and find the collaborators that understand that it's, it's not just about um, um, a certain topic, but it's about how a film is told. And I, as a producer, I need to support uh, a director and a screenwriter in telling the story in the way that they want to tell it, even though I know that this makes them less eligible for so many resources. And I need to figure out like other allies who understand that, believe in it, and want to join in to kind of disrupt a little bit how the world is, but yeah. I think you touched on something really interesting there about what authentic authorship is. I guess, to me, it, authentic authorship doesn't have to necessarily be people that are represented telling their own stories. That's only one part of it. Like, I also feel like authentic authorship is if you have those skills and that knowledge to bring a successful film to the fore and your interest in the community, then maybe your subjects take on some of the mantle of bringing your story to life. I think there are really interesting ways we can develop equitable practice because obviously the people in our industry with the most visibility that are the most empowered are majority white, majority male. If we suddenly decided that authentic authorship was only the people that were represented telling those stories, it would mean we'd see a lot less of those stories. And I, so I think there are really interesting ways for filmmakers that aren't historically marginalized to support historically marginalized people, but not take ownership of that story. If it comes from a voyeuristic place, if you're like, oh, there's a really successful story here, then I don't think anyone should be making film for that. Like, I'm a real big believer that arts for arts sake shouldn't exist in current times. We're too broken. Um, and so, like, I, I would like to see supporting filmmakers and supporting subjects to bring the film to life through their own lens or through their own perspectives, rather than um, us as filmmakers with our knowledge of the industry taking ownership of their stories to bring them to life. My last question before I jump out to audience questions, uh, we're going to do something really ambitious and I'm going to ask us all to build our utopia on stage. Like, what does our filmmaker's utopia look like? In uh, our ideal world, what would we have? What could we, uh, yeah, what would we be empowered to do, etc., etc.? Uh, so, who wants to go first? I think I will. Yeah, I, I dream a lot, so it's fine. Like, that's the easy part for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so I think I have had so many uh, meetings with broadcasters that start with, like, our audience do not even know where Egypt is on the map, so it's your job to try to, in, like, to add context in a way that we understand in your film. And a utopia for me would be a world where we can tell stories in authentic ways, in, uh, in culturally specific ways that will not be ever like completely understood or uh, followed within our system, like within our audience minds. 
and for this to be the normal, like for like different stories to be told in their um, forms and not kind of um, forced to be within a formula for uh, a European privileged audience. That gays to be prioritized in everything that we do, yeah. <laughs> I think I go to Toni Morrison and I think she started writing for, an, for her audience and just refusing to buy into catering to whatever was the expected audience of her literature. And I think it's similar to what you're, or like tagging along to what you're saying is just stepping away from the white-centered Western worldview and not having to exp like just dare to be specific and dare to trust our audiences because they know more than you think i really do believe that i think one of the um things that needs a lot more thought of um the way that we do training and things like this because a lot of the time there's lots of good schemes out there and you know sometimes they last for a few months sometimes they go on for a year but then it can seem to stop you know and people never stop learning um, well hopefully they don't and i think we really need to look at you know, hassling the streamers, you know, these streaming platforms that are getting all these subscription fees from us to actually put more back. And I know Netflix have done something recently and I think, you know, they've, they put um, something like a million into a fund, but I mean, that's nothing. That's like me giving you a quid, you know? So I really think we need to be, you know, hassling these guys to put in schemes that don't just stop at, you know, a one year thing like an internship, but continue so that, you know, people can continue to climb a ladder and then at the top of that ladder, then there's another ladder of where they then want to get to, you know? Yeah. And my utopia would be to have all voices heard and to think about, like, uh, to shape a, a collective imaginary, a decoli decolonized one, and also through education formation and audience uh, for formation also, to make it less harder for the next generations that we work on, on film producing and filmmaking. And the thing I'm going to add to your selections is my film making utopia would involve the money and the resource to allow new filmmakers, emerging filmmakers, and also filmmakers that have been around for a while, the space to like play with their vision, just like the space to really understand what their aesthetic is, what their kind of perspective is, and bring that to fruition over the time. I think production is so product focused and not process focused and I would like production to be more about the process because if we do that early then we get to a point where we can make products and I understand that there is no industry without audiences uh, like all of almost all of our money um, comes from audiences in our industry but that doesn't mean that we should hurry to give them the product product I'm sure they'd appreciate like a more interesting end product anyway Cool. I'm going to throw it out to audience questions. Go for it. <laughs> Hello. It's really nice to meet all of you and appreciate your expertise in film curation. So I'm a young film curator based in London. I run my own film festival in Lake District. And here's my co-curator. And we are an independent film festival who just founded this year after graduation. I do have some question uh, and I wish to ask for some advice. So I'm looking for the insight and advice about 
how to develop an independent film festival regarding the fundraising and endorsement. Because we are young, we are nobody, but we need indeed to get money to, how to say, to pay the people who work for us. And we are a festival that organized and run by women. And I think we need to, how to say, take a step on that by fundraising and endorsement. So I'm really looking forward to hear some advice from you. Thank you. I probably best place to answer this. Uh, do you know what your local film hub is? In that you're in the UK in Lake District, right? Do you know where your local BFI film hub is? Actually, it's called Film Hub North. Right. They give us very ambiguous answer. They want us to bring the international recognized film curator. However, it sounds very tricky for us. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I will touch base with you after this because I can probably help as the race equality lead for the BFI. Um, but I think the short answer is uh, independent films uh, are just starting up. Probably have to go through like two or three years of doing community cinemas and then build naturally into a festival. It's very rarely that uh, like uh, festivals are resourced in their first and second year if they're established as festivals, uh, and that's a flaw on our part. But we're just as a BFI, we've got more to do with less money, and so it becomes really difficult. I would reach out to uh, the ex uh, the uh, audiences fund in the BFI and see if you can apply for the audiences fund directly if you're having problems with Film Hub North. But like, Film Hub North should be supporting you. <laughs> so they, they reviewed us last year, but I think I can try my best this year again. <laughs> yeah, let's touch bases after this and I probably can help. I, I just want to, yeah. <laughs> I just think you have to insist because it, it's an important thing that you're doing and it, it's, it's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it also. Yeah, um, I might add something. I'm not sure it helps at all. I'm not in that business. <laughs> but uh, figure out why you're being rejected. Like, figure out what it is that you need to do to get where you want to get. Usually, like, I think when starting up any project, like, even when you're very confident of it and uh, it's very important to you, like, uh, it's hard to figure out what others need from you to not to uh, to support you and to be on board so um, try to also think about that like how what like what is the next step just sorry yeah no you're right you're completely right you're both really right I think yeah, understanding uh, taking my BFI hat off understanding like what is necessary for them to fund you. I mean, we have our own set of standards and guidelines and we move from a place of, if we're underrepresenting one of our guidelines, then we'll be more likely to fund. But again, I think that's just a really, it's about not being afraid to contact them and have a conversation. And if you're not contacting them directly, you can contact the central BFI and being like, I'm having trouble here, uh, I don't know why. So. Uh, we're not we're not scary. The BFI isn't scary. It can feel scary. It's a big organization, but we're not scary. Oh yeah, hello. Uh, when I was asking myself if there was any track record, you mentioned some sort of track record of inclusion, post-production-wise, like among people that worked in post-production from editor, colorists, sound designers, and also even not just the um, subtitling or uh, audio description, but also if you ever have a sort of track record, meaning the sound design, for example, thought to help someone that had 
some vision impairment to better understand the I mean not just because you have to you see what I'm saying but it's as, as an artistic choice and a moral choice yeah I mean as, as you pointed out when you um, when you make a film and you're funded in the UK by BFI Doc Society in Screen Scotland there is um, in the contract that you have to provide these materials but I think you know if in post-production um, it is very white and very male in the UK and um, there's a sound mixer called Emma Butt um, who we've, we're working with on a few things and she's absolutely brilliant she's done a recent initiative with um, Channel 4 and she's very um, committed with her work um, with BAFTA to actually make post-production a lot more inclusive because I think it is one of those areas in the industry that isn't very inclusive at all but it's a really interesting point about how you would make a film in that way not because you had to but because you wanted to and as a both an ethical and a, and a creative process really given me something to think about there so thank you post-production is a lot of resources you need right so the, inst the institute i mentioned issue 54 also has uh, teamed up with a post-production company in brazil called quanta and they did uh, classes for for disadvantaged people and after one year they were like many of them were employed in the industry so that that's a nice thing also and in the UK, it's a huge source of anxiety when you have uh, like filmmakers from historically marginalised perspectives that are going through that process and going into post and they're working with predominantly white, predominantly male editors. It's such an important part of the film process. So it can be really daunting for a lot of PSC, um, historically marginalised filmmakers. Uh, I, was, I remember a conversation we had with uh, Nikiatsu Jisu, who did uh, Nanny, who was on uh, Amazon. And she spoke a little bit about like how the main subject of her film was a black woman. However, because the cinematographers were white and because the editors were white, by the time the edit was finished, it felt like the main characters were everyone other than the black women. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. I hope that helped. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Crystal. I'm a student from the US here attending the festival. Um, I guess my question is, what advice do you have for finding your community, your support system, to kind of rise in the industry together? Doing things like this is really good, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and just getting out there, really. I think um, social media is, is, has got you know many negative things about it, particularly its impact on young people. But I think one of the great things it gives the world is that connection. You know, and the best thing about it is the worst thing about it. You can say anything to anyone and you can hopefully be heard, you know. So I think it's about finding allies, you know. It's about finding allies and making introductions. And, you know, I got into filmmaking eight years ago. I didn't go to film school. I hadn't even picked up a camera. And I, I just met people. And I found allies and I found people that championed me. And then I try and do the same, really, because I don't think it's enough to say to someone, yeah, look, the ladder's over there. I think you have to, like, you know, encourage them to the ladder. And then I think you have to wait at the top of that ladder and then give them a hand and then tell them you do the same for someone else because that's how we're going to contend with the inequalities in this world is by finding allies. You know, we're really, you know, not just in the UK but around the world. We're in a really dangerous moment now where, you know, right-wing supremacy is, is, is in the ascendancy. And unless we find allies as artists, as filmmakers... Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna survive. So yeah, just meet people and um, never be afraid to just say to someone, you know, can I have your email? Can I can I drop you a line? I always 
try and make time if someone wants to like pop into the office for a cup of tea or you know just because I had that when I was you know starting up people would would give me time and they would encourage and they would introduce me to other people and you know that's a really great allyship we all have to do that I think I agree like pay it forward it's also like be open about what you're looking for are you looking for a mentor are you looking for I don't know you want to make your film, what, like what is it that you're trying to articulate what it is that you're looking for and as Paul said, don't be afraid to, if, you're, if there's someone in your community or close by or someone you admire, don't be afraid to just drop them a line. Is it curation or filmmaking? Filmmaking. I, I would still, yeah, I would still reach out to programmers of Color Collective because they're really well connected throughout the global curation space and we'll be able to connect you to great filmmakers in your local area. But my other bit of advice is just to go to stuff. Like most of the, the best networks that I've created uh, are the interpersonal ones uh, and it's just from showing up to things. Some, some things like just film screenings that are really interesting that aren't being screened in your local area everywhere because you'll find a lot of filmmakers will go to those places or networking events on that you find on Eventbrite, just turn up to stuff. Some, some of them are terrible, some of them are incredible and you'll meet your forever network in some of them. Thank you. Any other questions? I'm going to shoot a last question over to the panel then. Uh, how can festivals and filmmakers establish processes that negate harm for those most vulnerable? So how can filmmakers and festivals work together to do this work? Um, I mean, I've not been to like hundreds of film festivals. I've probably been to, I don't know, 50. And um, they're generally, if you, if you don't, if you're new and you don't really know anyone, they can be very alienating spaces, I think. And again, I think the responsibility is, is on the festivals and, you know, the filmmakers that maybe are that much more experienced and, you know, maybe a buddy system, something like that, that, you know, there's a, a filmmaker coming to the festival for the first time and then there's a filmmaker that's been there ten times and... You know, you buddy up and you introduce them to people. I mean, you, you sometimes just do that informally, but maybe an actual process of doing that would work because this is, a, this is obviously the biggest festival in the world and it's, you know, I find it overwhelming, you know, and I've been doing this for eight years, which is not that long a time, but it's overwhelming out there, you know, and the red carpet and the police with the guns, I mean, that's never a good thing to see a policeman with a gun. But it's overwhelming here, and um, if someone had said to me, look, we'll get you a buddy at Cannes, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have accepted it readily, because I think it's a really nice thing to do if festivals have the resource to do that. But I agree, and I think, uh, for, for instance, RIDM in Canada, they have a buddy system, or at least they used to have a buddy system. You pair a young producer with an experienced producer if you're pitching, or if you're presenting a film, or as you said, uh, an experienced director who can, you know, chaperone, or like a company. Um, better word, uh, a young filmmaker, um, but I think also from the festival perspective is being aware of the people that you invite, that if you are inviting filmmakers that is dealing or comes from inter intergenerational trauma, do you have the toolbox of how to handle that? Or do you have the right staff? Do you have the right, 
you know, it means a lot of different things to a lot of us to see a police officer. It's a different experience for, like, you can't just, don't assume, I guess, or, like, make sure that you have the tools to, to accompany the people that you invite. I have nothing to add. I agree with everyone. Yeah, that's true. I think I'll add to that as well. I think um, it's not just festivals that it's the responsibility of. Uh, it is festivals to hold that space, but it could be other organizations that are holding that space. Uh, no self-plug, but uh, the BFI brought like four black women producers to the BFI this year. And as part of that, they did a day's worth of activities that celebrated black women. And the biggest bit of feedback we had from that was like, it's really nice to have a space to just tap into. It's like having that safe space to go, oh my God, okay, and speak to people that are having similar experiences. And we can all, we all have the capacity to do that, to create those spaces that the festivals are local to us. So yeah, I think that whilst those spaces are essential at festivals, it doesn't necessarily have to come to the, from the festival. And in some cases, we can't expect it to. I am going to wrap up there, unless we've got any last minute questions. Uh, thank you, huge thank you to our panel. Uh, let's give them a round of applause. Hey, there's, sorry, it's coming from the corner. I'm super oh, yeah. sorry. No. I just wanted to say a big thank you. I'm Marion, one of the Documentary Association of Europe people. Thank you so much for this beautiful panel, for being so beautiful, for sharing with us, um, for coming, for spending this time with us, also to all of you. And yeah, enjoy the rest of this festival. And I hope to see many of you uh, around and never forget, always bring a plus one <laughs> because that's what builds a community that is stronger. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you just heard, please be sure to subscribe to get future episodes. <laughs>